you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle with critics Amy Nicholson, who writes on film for the New York Times and hosts the podcast Unspooled, Andy Klein of AV Club, and Charles Solomon of Animation Scoop and Animation Magazine. We begin with the Kenneth Branagh starring Kenneth Branagh directed A Haunting in Venice. Michael Green took it from the Agatha Christie novel Halloween Party. Kyle Allen and Jamie Dornan, Tina Fey, Michelle Yeoh, all in the cast of this uh, crime drama. Andy, what'd you think of A Haunting in Venice? Well, I gotta say, it is not as good as his previous Hercule Poirot films. Uh, This one is very loosely based on the original novel, if I must say I'm not an Agatha Christie fan, except for Witness for the Prosecution, but... Uh, according to the Wikipedia description of the novel, he's really basically rewritten the whole thing. And uh, he seems way more interested in doing sort of gothic horror than he is in a mystery. The mystery, in fact, does not make all that much sense. It turns into an old dark house kind of movie where they're in Venice in this decrepit, this... uh, mansion that is going to fall apart on them at any moment that is supposedly haunted by a bunch of children who were tortured there. And there was uh, a death years earlier, a suicide, but was it really a suicide? You know, that's part of the plot. Uh, And he is inveigled there by uh, his novelist friend, Tina Fey, who's clearly playing a version of Agatha Christie. And this is not with comedy. This is done straight drama. Yes. I mean, it does have... I mean, the relationship between him and Tina Fey has certain comic aspects to it. Uh, but it's... Uh, mostly he's he's really concentrating on darkly lit gothic, you know, uh, extreme shots, uh, extreme angles... Uh, Michelle Yeoh is great for as long as she's there, and uh, the rest of the cast is generally very good. But the plot, by the time you work it out, it's not like there's any way you could have... It's not like there were hints along the way that would have given you a fair chance at figuring it out. Amy, what do you think of A Haunting in Venice? Yeah, I felt the same way in that you know, as soon as Poirot, you know, the great genius detective, starts tying together all the threads, I'm like... Really? I don't really believe that. You know, the pleasure of these movies is like catching along with him, seeing how he notices things. And here I'm like, you're just forcing me to believe a thing that I don't actually support at all. It's fine. But I do really enjoy the setting here because, you know, through his like his three Perot films, this is the first one that's taking place like after World War Two. And he gets this tone of like a, a, a part of Italy where most people are pretty damaged by the war. And there is this 
I would say almost like specter of trauma that kind of like hangs over the whole movie. And it really is part of what I think turns this film from a good classic detective story to something more ghostly and spiritual. Like this is the moment where Poirot is starting to wrestle with like, do I believe in a God? Do I believe in spirituality? No, 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 no. And why are these people making me have to question myself? And so all of that makes it feel... Yeah, definitely more just like a completely different type of story that happens to star a man with a really amazing mustache. But I like how it looks. I mean, yeah, every single camera angle is twisted to look strange and beautiful. There's a great sense of control. And then just a bunch of goofy jump scares that don't really work that all. But so it goes. All right. Yep. A Haunting in Venice. Kenneth Branagh stars, directed the film. Michael Green wrote it. It's rated PG-13 in wide release. Dumb Money, a biographical comedy, which is based on the story of Keith Gill, who got rich by turning GameStop into the hottest company on Wall Street. He sunk his life savings into the stock, posted about it, and the rest is recent history. Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Vincent D'Onofrio star in the film. Craig Gillespie directed it. Lauren Shuker Bloom and Rebecca Angelo wrote the screenplay. Amy... Do you like Dumb Money? <laughs> I mean, this is a movie with a bigger cast than Avengers Endgame. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Everybody has shown up for a movie that is... A Seth p- Rogen, Nick <laughs> Offerman. <laughs> right? You're just like, wow, heavy hitter, heavy hitter, heavy hitter, heavy hitter. Um, and it's, it's funny that they're all kind of marshalling in support of a film that turns out to be an interesting argument for making very, 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 very recent period pieces set in the winter of 2020. This is a pandemic period piece. And I kind of love going back to that pleasure of judging people based on how they're wearing their mask and who's throwing parties. Um, It goes back to, yes, explain kind of the huge brouhaha in the stock market over the GameStop stock, which I have to admit I had really no understanding of at the time. And here I would say I understand it a little better, but this is not a movie that's going to hold your hand and have, you know... It's not an Adam McKay where he's going to do a primer as a part yeah. of the comedy. Yeah. There's no Margot Robbie in a bathtub explaining how short-selling works. I'm still like, how does short-selling work? And why is it, this illegal again? should have had Margot Robbie in a bathtub. I mean, shouldn't every movie have her in yes. some way or another? But I will say, it is a movie of such fun performances. From every single one of the characters. Like, everybody's just giving it their all, you know? And it tells this really, I think, compelling and just completely, completely of the moment story about, like, do we live in a country that with an equal playing field for everyone? Dumb Money takes its name from the the idea in here that fancy big corporate stockbrokers call, you know, small-time investors who are using their own money in apps like Robinhood, which factors in majorly here, they call that dumb money. That's how they make their money, is off of people who don't know what they're doing. And so this has that kind of David and Goliath spunk to it. Like, we're going to show them what's up. And that's really, really, really compelling. It kind of carries the film, even though as you're watching it, you're thinking, oh, you know, Craig Gillespie directed a film with a lot more style when he did Itania. You know, here the edits are sort of sloppy and not really making a ton of sense. And because it's set in the winter of the pandemic, everything's gray. It's not the most visually compelling story, but it's such a fun ride. The film is Dumb Money, again, directed by Craig Gillespie. It's rated R, starring Paul Dano. It's in select theaters. Also this week, The Inventor, a combination stop-motion and 2D animated film. It's directed by Jim Capobianco and Pierre-Luc Grandjean. Uh, The film's rated PG. Charles, please start us off on this story, which tells a slice of the life of Leonardo da Vinci. 
a rather thin slice, I'm afraid. I really wanted to like this film. Jim Capobianco is a very nice guy, very talented artist, shared uh, the Oscar nomination for Ratatouille and is known as a, a real great story man. Uh, it's a passion project for him. And the puppets have kind of a nostalgic evocation of Rankin Bass and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, feel to them that's become very popular uh, within animation. Uh, it also is done in two 2D graphic styles, one kind of trying to illustrate da Vinci's notebook drawings, which has been done before, and the other much cartoonier and lighter, and it keeps shifting back and forth. But the biggest problem is the story. Um, although, again, we think of um, uh, Capo Bianco as a very talented story man, this kind of rambles and fumbles and stumbles its way along. Leonardo is a, a, a dearly befuddled little man. The three great Renaissance princes, Francis I, who brings him to France, and Henry VIII and the Emperor Charles V, are reduced to these vain, slapstick, silly characters. Um, and the person you're, they seem most interested in is Francis's sister, Marguerite of Navarre, who was actually interested in theology, though she was extremely learned and uh, erudite and intelligent, she wasn't that involved with da Vinci. And, uh, you know, according to Vasari, Francis I was holding Leonardo in his arms when the artist died. There's none of that bond, none of that sense of creation. Um, I was just enormously disappointed in it. Andy, what do you think of the inventor? I think I like this more than Charles did. Um, partly because I'm not that much of a da Vinci buff and all the things that I thought were outrageous inventions of the filmmakers turned out to be real when I checked the history and it, it really is kind of dazzling that way. I thought the animation was very evocative. Charles is right about the three kings being like the three stooges, basically. They really are low, low comedy. Uh but I thought it was it it was nicely animated, and uh, Stephen Fry does the voice of Leonardo, and I can't think of anybody better to do that. Uh, and I I I found it quite pleasant. We're talking about the Inventor uh, animated film from director Jim Campobianco and Pierre Luc Grandjean. Campobianco also wrote the screenplay. The Inventor is rated PG, and you can see it in select theaters. The documentary Carpet Cowboys uh, tells the story of Dalton, Georgia, where uh, much of America's carpets are manufactured. Dalton calls itself the carpet capital of the world. The film is directed by Emily McKenzie and Noah Collier. Amy, what do you think of Carpet Cowboys? This is a great debut. That reminded me a lot of the, the early films of Errol Morris. You know, mm. Gates of Heaven, especially Vernon, Florida, which is yep. one of my all-time <laughs> favorites. And the story that it's telling here is about a town called Dalton, Georgia, which was not on my radar at all, which is surprising because in the first minutes of this film, you learn that Dalton, Georgia makes 85% of the American carpets that we sell here. And, it's, and it makes 50% of the carpets that are sold around the world. It is the carpet capital as they stress. Who would have thought 
America would be the leader in carpet manufacturing right. to begin with, let alone one town. I would have thought like Armenia or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, so may, well, they do make beautiful carpets. They but, do. Yeah. They do. But and so the first parts of this documentary are just so fun when you're learning about a carpet town. Like I didn't know that they stress test carpets by having people just line up and walk on them for twenty thousand steps just in a circle. I mean, you're no machine does that. No, you're just watching footage of people marching in circles, looking incredibly bored. That is fascinating, and I was all in on this documentary. But then it starts getting into a little bit more of what its intentions are and focusing on like one character in particular, a carpet, a, a Scottish man who like focuses on like carpet design. And what you learn is that this is a documentary that's kind of less about the wild world of carpet, which I would kind of love, and more a documentary about, you know, a changing industry, sort of like how Roger and Me was a documentary that talked about an industry collapsing. This is about in an industry. The auto, American auto yeah, the industry. Auto, American auto industry. This is about an industry that's still doing fine, but the collapse is in corporate conglomeration. That's that in the seventies there were over four hundred and eighty mills running in this town. And now because of conglomeration, there's twelve. And so there's you know, fewer and fewer jobs to go around. And that becomes the film's driving message is is kind of really understanding how this consolidation destroys the American dream. And I kind of wish it told that story without getting such a narrow focus on one character, but it does tell it well, even kind of building in a contrast between like workaday plans that older men are doing and kind of young people making overnight fortunes on Shark Tank. Wow. Carpet Cowboys, the documentary from Emily McKenzie and Noah Collier. Andy? Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, Amy has... Trumped almost everything I was going to say there. Uh, yes, it felt it's the beginning like early Errol Morris, and then it becomes very melancholy, very sad as you watch particularly this one freelance carpet designer, Roderick James, who is a Scottish immigrant, and he's living the American dream, and he's having success. And then as the industry consolidates, he finds work drying up, and he's going to have to leave, basically. Uh, it's always respectful of the people in the town, and uh, it is kind of a sad commentary on the way capitalism, again, this sort of uh, monopolizing of resources uh, and consolidation ruins the American dream. Carpet Cowboys is unrated, and you can see it at Braindead Studios in the Fairfax District of Los Angeles. Uh, We're going to hear when we come back about The Retirement Plan, a film starring Nicolas Cage. What what is this? Seemingly his fifth film in the last 18 months or something like that. Astonishing output (laughs) by Nicolas Cage. He's not retired. He's got (laughs) no plans. Definitely not, nor consolidating. Ashley Green, Ron Perlman, Jackie Earl Haley star in that film. Tim Brown, the writer-director, will hear about it. We'll also uh, hear about uh, the film... Cassandro about a gay amateur wrestler from El Paso who creates this Cassandro character dubbed the Liberace of Lucha Libre. We'll hear about those films and more. And we remind you, in case you missed any of the reviews from Andy or Amy or Charles, you can hear the entire Film Week wherever you get your podcasts or at LAist.com. Much more to come in the way of reviews. We'll also have Peter Rayner checking in what he saw at the Toronto International Film Festival. We'll be back in one minute.
The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. It's Film Week on LA is 89.3. We're here every week, and in case you miss any of it, download and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your audio or at LAist.com. The Retirement Plan, an action crime comedy from Canada starring Nicolas Cage, Ashley Green, Ron Perlman, Tim Brown as the writer-director, a story of uh, when Ashley and her young daughter Sarah get caught up in a criminal enterprise, putting their lives at risk, she turns to the only person who can help, her estranged father Matt, who has played Andy by... Nicholas Cage to once the rescue. Again. <laughs> yes, only his twenty third film this year. <laughs> right. Uh, this is uh, really quite a lot of fun. It's not as great as the unbearable whatever unbearable weight of massive talent, which was the one where Nicholas Cage played himself. But this hit a sweet spot for me. Uh, basically, uh, she's totally estranged from her dad who is Nicolas Cage, uh, Ashley Green, and she's uh, in big trouble and she sends her 12-year-old daughter there to see granddad, who she's never even met. And by coincidence, we find out that the reason he was a terrible dad was he was actually the most effective government assassin we have and that he was always away from home running around the world assassinating people. So luckily, he's exactly the best possible person (laughs) if you're in trouble to have had for a father and a grandfather. Um, How's the chemistry between the the generations here? It's the little girl is wonderful. Grace Byers, she's terrific. And a lot of it is bonding between her and Nicolas Cage, but also... At one point, she gets kidnapped for a long stretch by Ron Perlman, who's playing this horribly threatening thug. And he turns out he, the character has all kinds of other layers. He's really that relationship is even richer. Plus, you have Ernie Hudson as Nicolas Cage's old best friend. And who doesn't love Ernie yeah. Hudson? Uh it's very violent, but it hits a kind of sentimental sweet spot for me with the violence, and it is cleverly done. Uh, the plot 
kind of makes sense. It has one big coincidence, and it's got a MacGuffin, which is a USB drive, and the question is, why don't they just copy it? <laughs> All right. The Retirement Plan is the film starring Nicolas Cage, written and directed by Tim Brown. It's rated R in select theaters. Cassandro, film about Saul Armendariz, who is a gay amateur wrestler from El Paso and becomes a star when he creates the character Cassandro, the Liberace of Lucha Libre. Gael Garcia Vernal stars in the film. Roger Ross Williams directed. David Teague and Ross Williams uh, were the screenwriters of the film. Amy, what did you think of Cassandro? Yeah, this is a well-acted sort of featherweight skimming biography of, you know, the great iconic uh, wrestler, uh, who I actually saw here in L.A. at the, oh, at the Mayan years oh, ago, wow, the show yeah. where he cracked a rib. Um, this is kind of structured where, like, it covers his story, you know, a little bit, the early part of it, the highs and lows, the tense fights, the sort of discovering his identity. But it, it's structured in a way that almost feels like like a wrestling match itself. You know, that there's some interesting scenes, there's some highs and lows, some turnabouts, and then it just sort of ends in a way that feels a little bit underwhelming. Um, but I will say that, like, Gal Garcia Bernal does a great job really capturing the interior life of this character. You know, he's got this blend of kind of self-consciousness and egotism. He's insecure but he needs attention you know he is aware that like this new identity gives him a sense of identity but it does also kind of take over his him and so all of that i think is like done really well inside of like gael garcia barnell even as the points itself are kind of eh, not especially compelling what i will say though is that the film does really get that yes while this type of wrestling is fake you know, so much of what's actually happening in the ring, you know, is real, you know, kind of the and risk. And causes serious injuries. Yeah, ribs cracking. You know, the kind of the fear of humiliation and the risk and the, and the need to react to what you think the crowd wants from you in real time. This really captures that really well, that wrestling is kind of this unpredictable, shape-shifting thing that only a few people like Cassandro can really do. Uh, I wonder if, I mean, this goes back 70 years, but there was a wrestler who wrestled uh, as the character Gorgeous George and mm -hmm. and was very flamboyant and feminine and his hair was a big thing, mm -hmm. huge ego. And by all accounts, the the uh, the guy who played Gorgeous George also had a huge ego and was a big star. And I'm just curious if there were any references back to George. Not to him, but there are a lot of references to kind of the history of Exotico wrestlers, you know, wrestlers who sort of it stereotypically used to make very macho audiences uncomfortable because they kind of broke the taboos of what a male wrestler should be doing in the ring. And you really watch Cassandra use that to his advantage, you know, kind of bumping people with his butt in order to make them back away. Interesting. Cassandro is the film. It's rated R, starring Gael Garcia Bernal. Uh, the film is in select theaters. And then next Friday, it starts streaming on Amazon Prime Video. It's rated R. Outlaw Johnny Black, a comedic action western starring Michael Jai White, Anika Noni Rose, and Erica Ash. Michael Jai White also wrote and directed the film. So it's a little bit uh, like we saw with Kenneth Branagh with our lead <laughs> film today, but probably something very different. Andy, what would you think of Outlaw Johnny Black? Oh, it's, it's a, just another Agatha Christie thing. No. <laughs> uh, I, I love Michael Jai White on screen. I wish he had not written and directed this uh it starts out seeming like he's really studied spaghetti westerns but then the visual style gets very flat uh it's filled with sort of sex farce stuff that uh, mistaken identities and who slept with whom and 
by the end in the big fight scene, he even lifts a gag from Blazing Saddles. And it's two hours and 15 minutes. This kind of film should not have been over an hour and a half. And even at that, it is kind of flat. Outlaw Johnny Black rated PG-13 in select theaters. And Love at First Sight, a romantic drama starring Haley Lou Richardson and Ben Hardy. Vanessa Caswell is the director, and Katie Lovejoy wrote it. It's based on the novel The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight. Amy, what did you think of the film Love at First Sight? Yeah, this is a cozy, drinking rosé, night-in kind of romantic <laughs> comedy that only really deserves to exist because of the chemistry between Haley Lou Richardson and Ben Hardy. Haley Lee Richardson is one of my favorite young working actresses right now. So I was not going to miss this movie, even though I feel like the script here kind of lets her down. Basically, the gist of it is she's a liberty gibbet who never keeps her phone charged. That becomes a really giant plot point over and over again for some reason. And he's a very sheltered British nerd who like hides all of his emotions behind statistics, you know, and cue fireworks um this movie really is just like all numbers all math trying to even turn it into like the sense of like a choose your own adventure kind of romantic comedy with jamila jamil who's also wonderful you know very charming as like this goddess of fate nudging them in one direction or another some sweet moments but overall i, I think Haley can do a little bit more Love at First Sight is streaming on Netflix. It's rated PG-13, starring Haley Lou Richardson and Ben Hardy. Also joining us on Film Week is our Peter Rayner, who's back from the Toronto International Film Festival, which ran uh, runs through September 17th. Peter, thanks so much for joining us to talk about this 48th annual edition of North America's Biggest Film Festival. Just first of all, what was the vibe like, Peter? Uh, hi, Larry. The vibe was um, interesting because of the strike. You know, usually this festival is very big on glitz and glamour and red carpets and movie stars, uh, in addition to hundreds of movies from all over the world. And because there were very few movie stars, uh, that aspect of it was um, was certainly not present. But, you know, from a film critic standpoint, I didn't much mind that because, you know, there's a lot of terrific movies to see. Uh, I saw maybe 20 in about six days. I missed a lot of good ones, but then again, everybody did. There's only so much you can see, and they all overlap. But, um, you know, I think that the vibe was sort of, gee, uh, you know, let's let's hope that next year the, the movie stars are back and yeah. all the glitz and glamour is back. Um, but I think that was more from a sort of marketeer, sure. uh, you know, film buyer point of view than from a critic point of view. Well, let's talk about Zone of Interest. This is a film that's gotten a lot of attention from writer-director Jonathan Glazer. It's adapted from a Martin Amis novel of 2014. It got a strong response at the Cannes Film Festival. What did you think of Zone of Interest? It's a pretty great movie. Uh, maybe the strongest film that I saw at the festival. Uh, it's, um, uh, it, it's absolutely chilling. Um, the entire movie is about a commandant uh, of Auschwitz and his, uh, wife and, and young children who live directly across from the, from the death camp. Um, and we never actually are inside the camp. We don't see any of the, uh, of the prisoners. We see, you know, crematoria and smoke coming out and we hear the, the clangor of what's going on, but we don't ever actually see, which just makes it all the more chilling in a way. Um, because all this kind of quotidian, you know, go, daily goings on uh, with the family just just over the, the wall uh, is, is is so entirely, uh, you know, misplaced from, from what the, the reality is. 
Um, and it's, 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 it's beautifully done and uh, beautifully acted. Uh, it, it, it's, it's really quite a remarkable wow. movie in, in, in every way. Sounds powerful. Zone of interest. Uh, in Restless Dreams, the music of Paul Simon, Alex Gibney, the terrific documentarian, turns his attention to um, the great American musician. Um, quite interesting, Peter. Yeah, this is a, a three and a half hour documentary by wow. Alex Gibney on uh, Paul Simon, and um, it, it pretty much takes in his entire life. From uh, you know high school days with uh, Artie Garfunkel, uh, where they <laughs> met and uh, teamed up, and goes all the way through to the um, current uh, album that he's putting out, uh, uh, Seven Psalms, uh, taking in vast portions of his career. Of course, the you know Graceland and everything else involved. Lots of clips, lots of interviews. Uh, they get into the the dissension between uh, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel uh, at some length. Um, the interesting thing about Simon is his music is so expressive, and yet as a camera subject, he's, he's quite recessive. Um, he's a control freak, but, but uh, in terms of how he comes across on film, he's almost like, uh, you know, where's Waldo? Yeah. Well, you uh, remember he, he starred in a dramatic film where he kind of played a version of himself, One Trick Pony, and uh, exactly. he was yeah. a recessive star in that. Yeah, that and that film did not do well. And no. That, that's made of a point of in the film. Uh, of course, Art Garfunkel wasn't such a great actor either, uh, but together they were magic, and uh, they really get into the ins and outs of what happened there. All right. Uh, Alex Gibney's In Restless Dreams, the music of Paul Simon. We're talking with Peter Rayner, just back from the Toronto International Film Festival. Anatomy of a Fall, uh, uh, Justine Trier, the director and co-screenwriter uh, of the film. Um, it's a French crime thriller? Yeah, this was the, the uh, Pondor winner at Cannes, the same year as uh, Zone of Interest. Um, and it's, uh, it's, yeah, this German... Uh, writer played by Sandra Huller, who's a wonderful actress. She's also in Zone of Interest, playing the wife. Um, she's she's married to a uh, another writer in this film. Uh, they're living in the French Alps. Uh, the husband dies mysteriously at the beginning of the movie. She's suspected of murdering him. So it sort of turns into a kind of um, uh, courtroom drama. Uh, uh, but it it it's it's really powerfully done the way the way it all comes together. They have a ten year old son. Um, who is um, visually handicapped because of an accident early on. And it takes in uh, the whole anatomy of, of not only what happened to the, uh, to the husband, the fall, but also the family itself and, and particularly the, uh, the, the woman at the, at the center of it all. Um, it, it, she, she's quite remarkable and, and very different in, in performance than uh, what she did in Zone of Interest. That, I mean, it's remarkable. So the, the same year at both Toronto and Cannes, she has two of the most talked-about films that she happens to star in. That's, uh, that's yeah, quite no, a productive it's, year. It's, it's really great. Unfortunately, she wasn't here to celebrate all of that. Uh, but, um, you know, that was through no fault of her own. But uh, it, it, it does happen, you know, that she... These, these things, you know, you just happen to get a couple of great movies in one year and yeah. then you're, you're off. 
Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the actor uh, Sandra Hular. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall is rated R, the film that we're talking about, winner of the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Kidnapped, um, a historical drama uh, of a young Jewish child who in mid-19th century Bologna was abducted from his family by the church under the Pope's orders. Based on a true story, Marco Bellocchio is the director and co-screenwriter. Um, Peter, I have like 10 seconds for Kidnapped. What did you think? Uh, it's pretty terrific. Bellocchio is, is a, has been directing for, you know, 50 years. He's a great director, under underrated, uh, underseen. Um, and this is a very powerful movie about a true story. Uh, originally, Spielberg was going to do this. Oh, wow. Material. Yeah. And um, but uh, I think thankfully it reverted to Bellocchio, who, you know, could use a hit. But it's uh, it's really quite powerful. It's a powerful story. Right. And the fact that it all happened is really, you know, kidnapped is the, the uh, film. Peter, thank you so much. Just back from the Toronto International Film Festival. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at las.com events. See you there.